Chapter Four of Bielehild by Julie Sutter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Four, Mother and Wife. I will lead them in paths that they have not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked things straight. Isaiah forty-two sixteen. The midday meal was waiting in the dim-panelled hall when Hayden jumped from his horse in the courtyard, throwing the bridle to an attendant. Pleasure glowed from his face as he entered, stepping at once to the dais at the upper part of the hall, where the table was spread for himself and his mother. Gyla looked at him no less delighted. "'Right glad I am,' she said, "'that with a strong hand thou hast taken hold of the reins. Thou hast no need of my advice, and without fears I may retire in widowhood.' This sentiment met with more approval on the young ruler's part than his mother would have been pleased to know. Hayden smiled to himself as he carved the haunch of venison which had been set before him, but asked presently with apparent unconcern, "'Where dost thou propose to take up thy abode for the future? If I am not mistaken, my grandmother went to the Hammelburg when my father succeeded, did she not?' This was more than the old Herzogin was pleased to hear. When she spoke of retiring she meant to do so within the Würzburg, not to some lonely place miles and miles away. But pride stepping in, she said, "'I am ready to go whither the Herzog my son will send me.' The Hommelburg, continued the latter with perfect ease, is in good condition, I believe. But this Würzburg must be thoroughly repaired before I can expect a wife to come to me. How low and dingy is this hall, everything black and— Thou art thinking of a wife, exclaimed Gyla, delighted, the very thing I have wished for thee this morning, and truly she is a glorious maiden whom I have chosen to be thy bride. To Horsa, the Herzog of the Saxons, thou must go, his daughter Irminfried— Thou shouldst have told me of her before, interrupted Hayden. When my father was alive, you and he might have proposed the wife for me. Now I am Lord Paramount of the land. The Herzog will choose his bride for himself. "'But he will not spurn his mother's advice,' replied she, with a tone which well betrayed her secret anger, in spite of apparent gentleness. "'I have no need of thy advice. Thou saidst so but a moment since. Indeed, I have fixed my choice. In three weeks, when the days of mourning are over, I hope to lead home the lovely bride to whom I was brought, they say, by God.' The Herzogin looked at him speechless. God. Which God, she was going to ask, but could not, for Hayden continued pleasantly. And much has to be done by then. I must send to Regensburg for masons. They have far better houses there, having learnt of the Romans. Their walls are of stone, the ceilings plastered, and the floor not, as with us, of bare trodden-down soil, but covered with flags. In the sleeping chambers it is even bordered. Herzog Teudo also has panes of glass in his windows, instead of trellis-works. He procured them at great cost from beyond the Alps. I shall hardly be able to get the like, the time being short. However, I will try. If I cannot get glass, they have a transparent stone in Neustria, called Moonstone, which will do as well." Thus he went on till the venison and a dish of pike had been dispatched. Having risen from the table, he called to some of his retainers, who were dining in the lower part of the hall, giving them various commissions with regard to the plans just elaborated. But as he spoke one of the men stepped forward, holding high a birch cup filled with frothy beer, and exclaimed, Hail to the Herzog! Hail also to the chosen bride!" The Herzog joined cups with him graciously, and approaching the lower board amid the joyous acclamations of the men he accepted the pledge of each of them. When he returned to the dais he found that his mother had left the hall. Heimlerisch, commanded the Herzog, follow me. The young man thus called upon attended his master to the little room in the wing, above the stable, still occupied by Hayden. Having reached it, the latter began. I told thee at the time of my father's funeral to request the abbot's prayer for his soul. Now thou shalt go to him and say, he may begin to worship again with bell-ringing and psalm-singing, just as in my father's lifetime." Whereupon Heimerisch folded his hands, exclaiming, 
Blessed be Christ Jesus, the heavenly Lord, who has guided your heart. I never doubted but that you would come to honor your father's dying wish. Indeed, and thou art mistaken, said Hayden, smiling pleasantly. It is the first wish of my bride, rather than my father's last desire, which I thus carry into effect. My father's last desire, moreover, was not as thou deemest. Alas, said Heimrich, that you should believe it. I have heard the tale concocted by Hetzilo and the drunken Pilong. If it were true, surely your own mother would have been the first to know, seeing she never left the chamber while Giselhard was with the dying Herzog, but she plainly knew nothing of his alleged recantation till Hetzilo told her of it. "'What is this thou sayest?' exclaimed Hayden. "'Is it possible that my mother was present when Giselhard attended my father's deathbed?' "'She never left them together for one moment. She cannot deny it if you ask her.' "'Go and take my message to the abbot. But stop. Send Pilung to me at once.' Pilung appeared presently, staggering, for he had been drinking heavily according to his custom. The Herzog commanded him to give an exact account of the time and place when he pretended to have learnt the secret conversation between Giselhar and the abbot. The churl, gathering himself up, repeated his tale. Hayden sent him back to his work, and mounting his horse forthwith, he rode at full speed to the place where Hetzilo lived in the forest gloom. Hayden roused the priest from his hut, which, like the lair of some animal, was half underground. He requested his account of the occurrence but it tallied exactly with Pilung's. The priest of Woden had been cunning enough to instruct his tool carefully. Hayden could not prove the lie. As he returned he came upon his mother, who was occupied with the lading of a sumpter horse. "'What is the meaning of this?' asked he with surprise. "'Didst thou not tell me the Hamelburg should be my abode? I had better go there at once.' "'Thou wilt go when I have given orders for thy going, and have provided a suitable escort,' said Hayden, quietly but firmly. In two or three days I expect the work-people here, and then I shall have to ask thee to quit the retiring chamber. But there is plenty of room beside. Choose thyself where thou wouldst be, and have thy chattels taken there. Thou wilt not leave the Würzburg before my wedding day." Furious at heart, but outwardly cold and quiet, she obeyed her son's behest. He was ruler indeed. Since love's tender tyranny had seized upon his heart he had changed entirely. All his being was now bent towards the one object he desired which, influencing his very will, had called that will into activity. He felt himself a man, and felt his power of overruling any opposition to his newly found energy. It had been a fatiguing day, and Hayden retired to his room to enjoy a rest on the couch of bearskins which served him for a bed at night. He did not sleep now, but soon fell into the most pleasant of daydreams, calling back to his mind the charming ride through the spring wood, and the subsequent meeting with Billihild. Her lovely figure, both sweet and majestic, rose before him. He saw her every movement, remembered her every word, and rejoiced in the recollection. And so vivid was the morning's experience to his fancy that he could not be surprised to hear the actual church-bell calling the Hushheimer brethren to matins, as in the morning the silvery sounds stole upon his hearing, carried through the wood. But could it be? Surely not, at such a distance he must be dreaming. Yet clearer and clearer the sacred sound arose, not from Hushheim, but from the Cenobi at Würzburg, floating past him higher and higher burdened with the thanksgiving of the whole congregation, which had united at the oratory to praise the Lord for his goodness, and to ask his blessing upon the Herzog. Yes, upon the Herzog and his chosen bride. For Heimerisch was not the first to bring them good cheer, one of the brethren having already sped across from Hushheim, bearing the wonderful news. Heimerisch's message of goodwill was therefore not unexpected. But if he could not surprise them, he was the more surprised himself when Abbot David acquainted him with the cause of all this happiness and great was the unlooked-for joy of the Christian people at the Borg when he returned to them with the strange account. "'Tomorrow,' he said, "'she will receive baptism, not at Würzburg, but at Hushheim, where the Herzog has desired her to stay until the wedding.'" 
Hayden remained on his couch, listening to the bell as to sweetest music. To him the sound spoke of Billyhilt. But the charm was rudely interrupted. Gyla stood before him, pale and trembling with rage. "'It is only of his mother,' she began, "'that the new Herzog demands obedience. The strangers may laugh at his commands with impunity.' "'Who laughs at my commands?' asked Hayden calmly, as he rose from his bearskins. "'I permitted the abbot to continue to worship as he was wont in my father's lifetime.' "'Indeed!' said the Herzogin sharply. "'Then I suppose thou spokest an untruth to insult me, when thou didst tell me this morning it was thy intention to stop the hateful thing at Hushheim also.' "'That was my full intention in setting out,' said Hayden. "'But my mind was changed on meeting one of these objectionable people, and finding that she was actually binding up the wounds of a wretch who had tried to set fire to their very home. Then I bethought me that my father had consulted with the folk-ting, and that the resolution had been carried to grant these Hibernians liberty of worship.' that therefore I have no right to act otherwise, as it would be disregarding the desire of the ting itself. Note on Folkting. Assembly of the People. Parliament in Denmark and Sweden is still called Folkting. "'Who was she that made thee think thus?' asked Gyla savagely. "'Billyhilt is the maiden's name, but why shouldst thou inquire? Thou shouldst rather tell me why my father's last desire was kept from me, why I had to learn from Hetzilo and Pilung that he returned to the gods.' "'How could I tell thee?' replied Gyla, seeing it was news to me when we heard it from Hetzilo. "'News to thee? Well, then, the abominable tale had to travel by crooked paths. Thou must have been the very first to know, seeing thou didst not leave him alone with Giselhar for one moment. Yet thou didst not learn the strange story from my father, not even from Giselhar, but only through Pilung and Hetzilo, who pretended to have it from Giselhar, though unknown to the latter. It is certainly strange.' "'But I sat quite apart from thy dying father,' replied Gyla eagerly. "'How should I have understood his whispered word? Giselhar's ear was bent to his lips. He had come between me and my husband, and Pilung has sworn to it.' "'The six free men whom Giselhar produced as witnesses have also sworn that my father's yes to Giselhar's question had been his last word, death overtaking him almost immediately. I mean to sift this matter. Leave me now.' The Herzogin retired, and Hayden once more sent for Pilung. "'Thou hast forsworn thyself, miserable caitiff!' exclaimed the young ruler, as soon as the latter appeared. But Pilung added oath upon oath. Hetzilo had assured him he could swear falsely to any extent, without fear of evil consequences, if only, by way of precaution, the little finger of his left hand were pointed to the ground, while the right hand was lifted in perjury. Hayden, not suspecting the sly tricks of the wicked priest, was misled by the utter confidence with which Pilung challenged the direct punishments of the gods if he spoke not the truth and felt less sure of his doubts. The old Herzogin in the meantime saw horror upon horror. That the chosen bride of her son was no other than that maiden Bilahilt, the Christian with whom he had fallen in on his ride to Hushheim, seemed certain. Now she understood the sudden change in his bearing. It was powerful love which had made an entrance in his heart, and was already beginning to rule his actions. But the thought that a daughter of these hated Hibernians should be the sharer of Hayden's throne and life was more than she could bear for then it would be impossible to wage successful war against Christianity, to drive away these Irish messengers and pull down their cenobies. She could scarcely hope in that case to keep her son from forsaking the gods, yet this must be her one aim, the sole motive of her actions. She took up her abode in the apartment made over to her, and far from desiring her removal to the Hammelburg, she now endeavoured to secure her residence at the Würzburg, or in its immediate neighbourhood, even after the wedding. Hayden, knowing her temper, expected she would withdraw from her seat in the hall. But when on the following day he obeyed the summons to dinner, he found her at her accustomed place. She rose with the respect due to the Herzog, greeting him with smiles, but made no remark as to the bride he had chosen, 
nor asked who she could be. Speaking, however, of the intended building operations, she expressed herself interested in all his plans. He was pleased to find she had so soon submitted to circumstances, nor saw he reason to think differently for some time. Bielehild had spent the rest of the day on which she had promised to be the Herzog's wife in tears and solitude, partly in the desolate cabin, partly at her mother's grave. She had yielded up to God the deep secret of her heart, a sacrifice truly, when she accepted Hayden, and now she thought not again of Gislehar, who henceforth was as dead to her. But she thought of the thorny path before her, and prayed God for strength to go along that path in obedience. Her baptism, which was now fixed for the following morning, was to her as the seal set upon this giving up of her person and her life to God, accepting from him the duty he had shaped out for her. Her clear mind had at once grasped the difficulty of her future position. She knew it would require wisdom and circumspection to meet Gila, whom she would have to honor as her husband's mother, without yielding one particle of the firmness she owed to her Christian profession. She prayed God earnestly to give her that wisdom. She knew her weakness, it made her more humble than ever, and this feeling, together with her own desire to be a faithful handmaid of her Lord, left an impress upon her. Yet it was natural the brethren, even the abbot himself, should see in her the future Herzogin, and should honor her as such even now. They could do so all the more sincerely, as it was not so much her future greatness, but rather the nobility of her present bearing which they admired. They could judge of the worth of her resolve. But poor Bielehild could not understand why the brethren should thus honor her. It almost hurt her. She bowed her head and raised it again, as though in childlike supplication, before those who had hitherto been her spiritual fathers, and whose prayers, whose guidance, she felt she needed more than ever. Bielehild, said Topman, her father's aged friend, meeting her one day, understand me aright. It is not thy humility I would blame. Humility is as the bloom on the fruit of every Christian virtue. But I would wish thee to find thy level on this new path which the Lord has marked out for thee. Thou art to be our Herzog's wife, a princess, raised above us. Humble thyself before thy God, but do not abase thyself before us. A kindly spirit thou shouldest ever show, even to the lowest. But such kindness and inward humility need not detract from the honor due to thy position, and which should show itself in thy bearing. It is as the Herzog's wife thou art called upon to enter the Würzburg, not as his inferior. His faithful wife thou shalt be, yea, more than this, the servant of thy God, and a pillar of the faith in high places. I do not say, try to gain over thy husband by untimely zeal. Thou shouldest rather bear in mind what saith St. Peter, Ye wives be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of their wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Yet there are limits beyond which even thy wifely obedience may not go. Thou must never allow thyself to be kept from prayer, and from the meeting together with the brethren in the house of God and thou must always be a faithful champion for the Christian people, man or maidservant on the Borg, and especially will it be thy duty to hold thy own, as the Herzog's wife before the old Herzogin his mother. But how shouldst thou succeed in all this, if thou canst not learn to feel at home in thy new position even now? What if the Herzog should come to visit thee, as he may any day? Dost thou think he would like thy bowing low before each one of us? It could not possibly please him. Or dost thou imagine thou couldst change thy bearing all at once?' "'Forgive me, father,' said Bilahilt. "'It is truly a great work I have been called to do. Its very weight has humbled me. But it is to you and the fathers I bowed. I knew I should have to walk differently as the Herzog's wife. Yet thou art right. I cannot learn new ways all at once, and must begin even now. I will try.' And she went her way, lowly at heart as ever, 
but showing again in her every gesture that inborn dignity and noble grace which had charmed Hayden at their meeting in the forest, when he thought she must be a Valkyr maiden of Valhalla. And who is it bursting now from the forest on milk-white charger with the brightly polished copper shield on his left arm? It was Hayden, followed by Heimerish. With a proud look in her eye, Billahilt stood waiting the approach of her lord and lover, and something like pleasure glowed on her brow. The herzog jumped from his horse in a transport of delight to clasp the noble maiden, who, conscious that she was his now, stood holding out her arms. "'I have come at last,' he said. "'I would not come empty-handed, and the Bavarian peddler kept me waiting so long.' Heimerish, meanwhile, was undoing a package which had been fastened to the pommel of his powerful horse, and then followed the noble pair to the refectory, whither the brethren were conducting the herzog. "'Thou art my bride,' said the latter to Bilihild. "'Let me adorn thee as befitteth her I have chosen.' and suiting the action to the word he took from the hand of his retainer a costly robe of purple silk, also an ermine cape, bracelets, and a diadem set with precious stones. Bilihilt, at Hayden's desire, at once took these things to the nearest cabin, and looked a princess indeed when she returned, clothed in her lover's presence. Hayden rejoiced at her beauty, and even Bilihilt had some feeling as though that future position, which she had accepted with such a spirit of sacrifice, whatever of thorns it might bring, might yield its roses also. A natural delight in raiment belongs to woman. The high-minded maiden could not be accused of vanity, but as a pledge of her lover's affection she did value these pretty things. She felt the happiness of knowing herself loved by her future lord, and the duty of loving him in return became easy, all the more so as she found him a man endowed with nobleness of mind and strength of character. The company sat down to their common meal. The abbot prayed the sixty-seventh psalm, to which the herzog listened attentively. The board was suitably provided. The brethren and sisters, filling several long tables, contented themselves with their usual fare, consisting of oatmeal porridge, vegetables, and dried fruit. But the smaller table, to which, besides Hayden and Billihilt, only the abbot and his wife, together with the aged Topman and honest Heimerish, were invited, showed the Cenobi could offer something of cheering hospitality. There was a large pike from the abbot's preserves, and a dish of snipe, which the boy Damwalis, by lucky chance, had caught the day before. There was also a cake cleverly contrived of wheat and flour, milk, butter, and plover's eggs, and, to enhance the charms of the cake, a dish of golden honey fresh from the comb, also blackberries preserved in honey to complete the feast. The herzog, having had a good morning's ride, did full justice to the meal, Billihilt and the others keeping him company, when the sound of a horse's hoofs broke upon their ears. "'Who can it be, Heimrich?' exclaimed Hayden, but before the latter could reach the door, Pilong presented himself at the entrance, with a well-conditioned roebuck on his shoulder. Catching sight of the herzog, he showed surprise, even fear. "'What is thy business here?' asked the latter. "'The herzogin has sent me to deliver this fine roebuck, with her greeting to the maiden Bilhild,' stammered Pilung, adding with a brazen face, "'I was not told I should meet the herzog here.' "'Rejoice, Bilhild," said Hayden, well pleased. "'Even my mother has thought of thee with kindly feeling.' Pilung was invited to sit down with the general company. When they had risen from table— Billihilt showed the herzog all over the Cenobi. He admired the gardens and fish-preserves, and made friends with the various members of the community. Taking his leave in the evening, he said to the abbot, "'As I am about to carry off a priceless treasure from your Cenobi, it is meet I should give you something in its stead. I herewith present you with the foxwood and the alder-grove, together with the meadows between them and the river, to be the freehold property of this Cenobi for all time to come.' And handing over the title-deed, he rode away." followed by the faithful Heimerish and the less tried Pilung. End of chapter 4